Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 64, Vaccination. I recently saw on social media a worrying statistic about COVID vaccination rates in pregnant women. I'm not entirely certain what the source was, but the tweet came from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists and suggested that only two out of five pregnant women offered the vaccine were taking it up. I thought maybe, therefore, I should do an episode on vaccination Women are inevitably more concerned about putting anything into their body when they're pregnant. That goes for a wide range of things from various foods, medication, as well as vaccines. I'm going to talk today a little bit about vaccinations in pregnancy in general, in the hope that this may help women understand and make some decisions as to whether to have them. In my mind, when considering any vaccine in pregnancy, there are two key questions. The first question, fundamentally, is it safe? The second question, what is the purpose? Who are we protecting, the mother or baby or both? And is it effective? The first question is often answered by considering the type of vaccine. One vaccine is not the same as another vaccine. Some vaccines are what we call live vaccines. They use a live version of the virus or bacteria. In general, we don't give live vaccines in pregnancy. Using a live virus or bacteria, even if it's modified, to trigger an immune response can sometimes be a problem. An example might be rubella, German measles. We used to test every pregnant woman in the UK during pregnancy to see if she was immune to rubella. This was because women without antibodies who were susceptible to rubella were at risk of their babies being affected and this either causing a miscarriage or something called congenital rubella syndrome. However, we couldn't vaccinate women in pregnancy because the rubella vaccine is a live vaccine. So we used to find out a woman was not immune, wait the whole pregnancy and then give them a vaccine on the postnatal ward before she went home. This is logical. After all, the time a woman definitely, definitely is not pregnant and therefore can have a live vaccine is when she's just had a baby. Initially, we used to give the rubella vaccine alone. Then subsequently, this became MMR the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. 
The assumption of giving it at that point was that the woman wasn't pregnant and was unlikely to be pregnant in the subsequent few months. But we would also give a woman information about contraception. In 2016, this practice of screening for rubella was discontinued. It didn't any longer meet the screening test requirements. However, I can't help feeling a little anxious about that. I worry slightly about the cohort of children brought up in the wake of the MMR scares. Contemporaries of my own children who are now in their early 20s who may not have received MMR as children and therefore may not have immunity to rubella. So this may be something that we have to revisit in the future. But the key point I'm trying to illustrate here is we don't use live vaccines in pregnancy. One of the odd things about COVID vaccines and the conversations we have is suddenly everyone wants to know not only have you been vaccinated, but what vaccine did you have? Did you have AstraZeneca? Did you have Pfizer? Did you have Moderna? And what are the benefits and risks of each type? And is one type better than another type? Suddenly people are obsessed with details about vaccination. It started me thinking, in other aspects of vaccination, we never ask, what sort of vaccine is this? No one ever says, oh, you had a tetanus booster, which vaccine did you have? So I thought for a moment, I would think a little bit about some of the other vaccines we offer in pregnancy and what they are. The commonest vaccine we've recommended in pregnancy for many years is the flu vaccine. Each year, we offer women flu vaccine in season. In fact, I recommend it to women quite strongly. Embrace, the confidential inquiry into maternal death, have repeatedly in recent years recommended flu vaccination as one of their recommendations for saving mothers' lives. I give this advice year in, year out. I know it's national guidance. And what's more, as a healthcare worker working in maternity care, we're strongly encouraged to have the flu jab too, not only to protect ourselves, but protect us from passing on infection to those we care for. I realise though, I'm not a public health or infectious disease specialist. So I never say, well, you could have this type or that type of flu vaccine and the pros and cons are this. And For that matter, I have absolutely no idea what type of flu vaccine I've had for the last few years. So I thought I'd look it up and I did find a really illuminating document which lists all the different many types of flu jab and how they're produced. Flu vaccine given to women in the UK is an inactivated vaccine, i.e. it's not a live vaccine. And you can read about it in much more detail if you look at the document, which I've included in the programme notes. So in flu season, in the UK, we highly recommend women have the flu jab. The other common vaccine we're now using in pregnancy is whooping cough vaccine. In contrast to flu, this vaccine is for the baby, not for the mother. The whooping cough infection rate had been rising and included a large number of infections in young babies in the time period before they received their own vaccinations at around two months. Before this time, babies rely on passive immunity. What that means is in the last few months of pregnancy, 
the mother's antibodies cross the placenta. This gives the baby some natural immunity. These antibodies can mop up bacteria and viruses in the baby's bloodstream and organs until such time as the baby can make its own antibodies. These passive immunoglobulins passed through the placenta will reduce over the first few months of life. But breastfed babies will also receive antibodies through the breast milk. So the idea of the whooping cough vaccine given from 20 to 32 weeks of pregnancy in the UK is to boost the mother's immune system so that her antibodies cross the placenta and give passive immunity or a boost in passive immunity to her baby so that the baby is protected until the baby receives its own vaccination at around eight weeks old when it starts its vaccination schedule. So what sort of vaccine is the whooping cough vaccine? Well, when I looked into it in a little bit more depth, it's not actually the whooping cough vaccine at all. It's a four-in-one vaccine. That is, it's the normal vaccine used in children. So it vaccinates for polio, diphtheria, tetanus and whooping cough. It is an inactivated vaccine. So again, it's not a live vaccine. It is safe. But are we clear that we're actually giving a vaccine for far more than whooping cough? And yes, of course, that may be beneficial too. Because actually, for all those infections, the baby will receive a boost before it gets its own vaccinations at two months of age. But why are we calling it only the whooping cough vaccine? Are we giving women the right information on which to make their decisions? Since its introduction in 2012, 69% of eligible pregnant women have taken the whooping cough vaccine. And this has provided 91% protection from whooping cough. That's pretty good stats. It benefits the baby. Uptake is reasonable. And it has been shown to make a difference. I feel I can recommend that to women. I can go along with that national guidance. I can't help wondering if this uptake rate is because it's pitched to women as being for their baby. I often feel in clinic when I'm talking to women that if I say something's for the baby, they're much more likely to take it. Whereas if I say it's for them and therefore will also treat their baby because it will keep them healthy, they are much more reluctant. Let's compare this with flu. The uptake for flu, the most recent data I could find, from 2018 was 47%. It does compare favourably with uptake in the other at-risk groups, which are overall 40%. So pregnant women are a bit more likely to accept the flu vaccine. But it's still significantly lower than the 69% we'll see with whooping cough. Is this because women see the flu vaccine as for their benefit to prevent them from getting ill and don't really appreciate the benefit that that could also bring their baby? So having talked a little bit about vaccination in pregnancy, let's now turn to COVID. So with the COVID vaccine, none of the vaccines are live virus. So far, so good. We know that other similar vaccines have had good effect and have had no safety issues in pregnancy. 
What about the fact that there's very little data on pregnancy and vaccination? Well, that's partly because we haven't had time to accumulate it. And also because when you start a trial on something, you don't generally start in pregnant women. In fact, often being pregnant or breastfeeding is an exclusion criteria. How can we safely say that it's okay for women to have the COVID vaccine? Well, there is increasing data from the many women in different countries who have had the vaccine. I can tell you that there are many things in pregnancy that we use that we know are safe, that if you look them up, it will say there's no evidence as to whether this is safe or not, or it's not licensed for use in pregnancy. It's an occupational hazard of being an obstetrician that you end up using many, many drugs for which there is very little data. And now I come to think of it, I think that's a topic for a whole nother episode. So I'll come back to that at a future point. It doesn't mean these drugs are dangerous. All it means is these drugs have not been specifically tested in pregnancy. So the fact that there isn't data doesn't immediately tell me there's a problem. The next thing we have to do is think a little bit about the mechanism, the way the vaccine works. A lot of the vaccines are mRNA vaccines. And if you think about how that works, how that triggers a body to produce a protein without even introducing the virus, then there isn't any mechanism by which you can imagine this causing harm. I know it's early days, but many, many millions of people have now had the vaccines. The mRNA does not interfere with the DNA in the nucleus of our cells, contrary to some of the myths that are being banded about on the internet. The mRNA vaccine works by giving some instructions to our cells, making a protein, which is then displayed on the outside of the cell. Our body recognises that protein is foreign and makes antibodies. The instructions, the mRNA, is then broken down, so is no longer present. So we're cleverly tricking our immune system into producing a response without having to have the virus in our bodies. That's why it's so safe and can't give us COVID from vaccination. Okay, so we think the vaccines are safe. Let's now think what we're trying to prevent. Is there any evidence that COVID is particularly unsafe for pregnant women? There is some evidence that in the third trimester, there's a higher risk of stillbirth and preterm birth. Yes, the numbers are very small, but I can tell you having worked through the pandemic and seeing those effects on women and families of severe illness that I would recommend having the vaccine. The maternal death rates in the UK from COVID are low. The rapid report produced by Embrace did, however, identify seven maternal deaths from COVID. So, yes, when I see a pregnant woman and she asks me about the vaccine, I do give her the information from the RCOG and the decision-making tool that I've included in today's programme notes. But I do suggest that, yes, I think it is safe and, yes, I would recommend 
having the vaccine. The next aspect of vaccine uptake is how difficult is it to get it. It took some time before the government and the Joint Vaccines Committee were willing to accept that pregnant women and breastfeeding women should be offered the vaccine. It wasn't until mid-April that it was recommended for pregnant and breastfeeding mothers, in contrast to December for the rest of the population. So inevitably, this may have made some pregnant women more hesitant. Some of the women that I saw with underlying health conditions who were offered vaccination in those early months had to go to enormous lengths to receive it. Either they were women with underlying health conditions or healthcare workers who were significantly exposed. I had several women who attended vaccination centres, queued up for a significant amount of time, clearly heavily pregnant, only to be told when they got to the front that they could not have the vaccine when they were pregnant without a special form an exemption certificate to be completed by myself. Only the most dedicated woman will come, find the form about which I knew nothing, educate me, get me to complete the form, get it sent back over to the vaccination centre, go back and queue all over again. I sincerely hope that things have moved on, but I do know there remain difficulties for pregnant women accessing the vaccine because they need to have Pfizer or Moderna rather than AstraZeneca. I know in some areas of London, women are finding it difficult because they make an appointment for a vaccine centre, but it's not clear which vaccine is going to be provided in advance. So they may turn up and find it's AstraZeneca, which currently is not recommended for pregnant women because of the increased risk of blood clots in pregnancy anyway. So we're not making it particularly easy for women. As the infection numbers continue to rise, I can't help worrying about this. I can't help worrying that now the most vulnerable in our population are the unvaccinated. And I worry that a larger proportion of pregnant women may remain unvaccinated. I'm apprehensive In the months ahead, will I start to see a disproportionate number of pregnant women admitted to hospital with COVID simply because they've been too nervous or we haven't made it easy enough for them to have the vaccine? So the zesty bit today is if you're pregnant or planning to get pregnant, please do look at the decision aid produced by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists and Royal College of Midwives to decide whether or not you're going to have the vaccine. And if you have difficulty sourcing the correct type of vaccine, if you've decided to go ahead, then contact your GP and see if they can help. Being pregnant or breastfeeding should not mean that you miss out on this very important protection for you and your baby. Remember, by keeping yourself healthy and well, that is the best possible protection you can give your unborn child. And when it comes round to flu season, usually we're giving the vaccinations from October onwards, 
make sure you have your flu jab too. Just because we're dealing with a pandemic and coronavirus does not mean that flu is no longer important. In fact, for this year, it may be more important than ever before. Because the suggestions are that having not had much flu last year, with things opening up, we may be in for quite a difficult flu season this year. If you're a maternity professional listening to this episode, know where you can find the right advice to give pregnant women about vaccination and understand their reluctance and be prepared to answer questions and give advice and support for women making these tricky choices. Understand what the different sorts of vaccination are and be aware that there's some fantastic, really simple resources that explain lots about vaccination in the programme notes that I've enclosed today that you can use to help women and families not only decide what vaccinations to have in pregnancy, but also to help them with deciding about vaccinations for their baby once it's born. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Obs Pod. Feel free to contact me on Twitter at FWMaternity or at The Obs Pod to ask me questions, give me topics for future episodes or let me know what you think. It's absolutely fantastic when you get in touch. I really enjoy reading your comments. As usual, I've tried to include in the programme notes some extra reading about this particular topic, both for professionals working in maternity care and for pregnant women using services. I'd like to reassure you that although I'm talking about my experiences working in maternity care, I take confidentiality very seriously and do not give any personal information about any of my patients. If you've enjoyed listening, I'd love you to recommend the OBSPOD to friends or colleagues and please do leave me a review on whichever podcast directory you find my episodes. Many thanks for listening.